this is a very old, a very old key. It'd be impossible to, and a very old lock for that. It'd be very impossible to replace it today. So, I just see if I can. I must have been holding a piece of iron for my father in in the yard, and he struck before I removed my hand from a place, and he hit my thumb with the sledgehammer. And all that was troubling him was that I might curse. I remember the effort he put into stopping me cursing at the time. And now we're coming into the into the dark. As you can see there's plenty plenty of cobwebs, plenty of soot, and plenty of iron and tools and all the paraphernalia before it's all detected. Harry and Paddy Vaughan were the last two blacksmiths and farriers in the town of Lismore, County Waterford. The Vaughan's Forge and adjoining workshop finally closed their doors in 1992, having been open since at least the beginning of the 19th century. However, Paddy's sons, John and his younger brother Pat, well recall life in a forge. I suppose my earliest memory of the forge is as a child, I don't know what age. And it's a memory filled with sounds and smells rather than anything definite. <laughs> the sound of men's voices and uh, the clatter of hooves coming down the street, you know, another horse was on its way. People warning me to stay out of the way. Watch the hind legs, of course, they were always told to watch the hind legs. Uh, it was biz- that sense of, of busyness and um, and industry and people coming and going and it's, uh, like a painting which was, was crowded with people. Week in, week out, from morn till night, you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measured beat and slow. Like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. And over here, again, we're, we're, we're right beside the, the old hub. You can see the, the first attempt at a mechanical bellus, if you like. It's a fairly cumbersome uh, effort. So when they moved the fire from the old hub over to the new hub, uh, again, you can see a more modern version and uh, the switch for that <coughs> is over on the, on the opposite wall as it happens and I remember as a child I used to have to use a stick to turn it on because it was, it was so high up um, let's see if it, if it still works so we'll get that fire going in a minute now we'll see how, how it works so that's the fire lit now the first thing to be doing first job to be done every morning will be to light the fire no matter what forge you go to, usually no matter what metal workers area you go into, there's always a little bit of scrap metal around. In fact, a lot in my father's case and places crawling with it and he could catch up any little bit of metal and he could tell you where it came from, what it was used for and very arcane uses. So it's going grand there now. We used to use uh, slack and we still have some slack up there in the bucket so I'm just going to put, uh, which is... Uh, very loose coal. I'm just going to put that around it now to get the fire going properly. Then I put a, I put an iron in it to redden it down. 
place must be full of smoke. So full sometimes it's hard to see who was inside in the forge because the forge was a very dark place. Particularly the upper regions of it where the where the two anvils were. And uh, the fire was in the middle and down towards the door then of course was where the horse was, was shod on the timber floor. The rest was there was a special timber floor for where the horse uh, stood while, while being shod. And of course if the horse uh, ever did his uh, worst and on, on, on that it was a cause of great concern. He to run for a shovel and a brush and sweep it up and throw it out onto the dung heap outside. And of course that, that, that itself had its own smell and the steam coming off it and everything. And all that blends together into a a sort of montage of smell and sound and indefinite images that come to mind. Children coming home from school look in at the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like shaft from a threshing floor. right now and uh, I'm just going to turn off the blower. So once you have the heat up the inverter, the, the, as the saying goes, if the strike, strike while the iron is hot, this is where the saying. When Harry used to be working in the forge, there used to be a big barrel of water outside the forge door for cooling iron. And of course, when the shoe was finally ready, we all used to love this was to dip it in the water to cool it off because the sound of it, it was something special. You can see the smoke rising, and we used to we used to vibe with each other to to have the the the, the cooling of the iron. He used to smoke players untipped cigarettes. One cigarette, he might, he might only take. The, uh, the only time he might pull it was, would be when he'd be lighting it, and it would rest on his lip then, until it, uh, the ash burned out, and there'd be a big head of ash sticking off. And I remember him; he might have that in his mouth, and he fit in the shoe, and, and the, the drop from the sweat coming off his brow would fall down, and knock the ash off at the end of the cigarette. So I remember going into the forge, and you'd go in, and you'd sit on the anvil, and you'd look at the fire, and. You know, I'd be trying to learn how to manage the fire, and managing the fire isn't that easy, like because you'd have to have it in a certain way. And uh, Harry would be very particular about the fire and how you'd manage it, and not to blacken it, just to, to keep it red and to keep it fed enough to um, for the right heat and so on. Have a shovel load of shovel load of slack there, no. Rejoicing, sorrowing, onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin, each evening sees it close. It was rare enough, I'd say, for people to settle with him. Uh, for a job that was done uh, that particular day, accounting became <laughs> was a very important skill, such as it was. And, and what it was really was that at the end of the day, Harry would have all the jobs inside in his head that he'd done all that day and he'd, he'd go in in the evening then he'd, his sister my aunt would 
Harry would sit down in the chair and call out the jobs that he did and what and what the cost of them were, and she'd write that down. And uh, as I understand it, that's that was the practice. This was, to a large extent, before the farmers started to get a lot of money from the EU, and they used to be. The farmers wouldn't have the money, and therefore my father wouldn't have the money. And I think it was very difficult to make ends meet, and there's no wonder he didn't smoke or drink. There wasn't. Uh, it was very hard to survive, I'd say. It was a minor miracle that he managed to raise three children who, and put them through college and so on. And I don't understand how he did it. I have one of the uh, ledgers here. Let's uh, just get it now. As you can see, it's a very old ledger book. It's, the binding is, is still there, but it's, it has become it has become worn with years. You can even smell the forge uh, off it, I think, in places. But uh, inside the front cover is uh, Henry Vaughan, September the 23rd, 1890. And that would be my, uh, my great-grandfather. Still in good order, mind you. Set of shoes for the donkey. Frosting, that would be, they did put frosting nails on, on in, in, let me see the time of year, January, yes, January the 9th, eight, uh, 1891, they put frosting nails on existing shoes. That'd be like hobnails and boots, if you like, to, so that they wouldn't be slipping in the ice. Set of shoes to a black mare, set of shoes to a donkey. My father, I remember he had very good writing, very good longhand writing, and he was very particular about how he would draw something or how he would even write his name. And his hand used to hover and make a few preparatory tours over the paper in the air before he actually put the pen to the paper. And, of course, one of the great employers would have been the castle, like I said, the Duke of Devonshire. And sure enough, here we are looking at 18... 94 and a set of shoes to Buckshot. That was obviously the name of a horse. That was three shillings. Set of shoes to a black mare, three shillings. Set of shoes uh, to a donkey was one and six. His Grace, uh, the Duke of Devonshire, that's 1890. And uh, it was quite a valuable source of income, uh, doing work like that for the Duke, because it was regular... carts at the time and uh, all those timber wheels had iron bands on the outside and they'd get worn and then they'd have to be either repaired or replaced completely and that was a huge job. So what happened then in order to put the iron band back on the wheel it was ostensibly too tight for the wheel to put it on just to slip it on. So what happened was it was heated up in the fire in several places which expanded it which meant then it was large enough to drop onto the wooden wheel and then when it was cooled it would contract and pull the wheel together, which is what was supposed to happen. We'd wait till we had about 12 wheels to be done and do them all in the one day because it, had to, it required uh, two fires <coughs> and two or three men to let uh, heat the bends and to, to manoeuvre them out of the forge and onto the bending stone outside where the wheel was fixed and that was an event in itself. 
So the bands would be heated up, they would expand, and as they expanded, when they had expanded enough, my father and my uncle Harry would carry the bands in a pair of tongs and bring them up the yard where the wheel was sitting on the banding stone so there was a hole in the centre of the banding stone to take the hub of the wheel then they would drop the band onto the wheel now if they did the wheel started to take fire almost immediately and they had tools called dogs to pull the band onto the wheel and then they'd hammer the band down over the wheel until it was fitting all the time there were flames coming up and everybody around was standing by with water to put out the fire but we couldn't actually quench the fire until the band was on the wheel because that would mean the band would contract before it was properly on the wheel and it might break the wheel so when the band was on which had to be done pretty fast and this was a a frantic operation then women and children and everybody gathered around with watering cans and ponies and everything to pour water onto the band and cool it and make sure the fire was out Yes, I often thought it was a trade that that I would like to go into. I suppose with the wisdom of hindsight, I can see why perhaps I was encouraged in a different way, but I, I was always interested in the way that you would actually make things with your hands. I suppose it was a possible pathway in my life that was never followed, and I suppose I would have a regret that I couldn't follow it. I, I can intellectually appreciate that it wasn't realistic, but emotionally I would have loved to have followed it. From our own house, I knew when there was someone working in the forge because you could hear the ring of the anvil up and down the street. You could hear that quite a distance away. And it's a lovely tone, and I remember every anvil must have its own tone because I remember the ring of this anvil, and it was different to any other hammer and anvil that I've heard since. And it had a particularly nice ring to it. Very, I have very friendly associations with the sound of that anvil. Each morning sees some task again, each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done, has earned a night's repose.